Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Biotech Podcast Insight Segment, where we investigate major topics that are shaping biotechnology today. For updates about upcoming guests, follow us on social media and visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I'm your host, Joe Varielli. Our guest today is Dr. Hong Tang. Hong is the co-founder and chief medical officer of OnQuality, targeted cancer supportive therapy pharmaceutical company dedicated to the development of treatments to address specific side effects of cancer therapies to improve quality of life and outcomes for patients fighting cancer. Prior to founding OnQuality, she worked as a physician scientist in numerous medical affairs and leadership roles at the NIH, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Astellas Pharma, Dendrion, and Juno Therapeutics. She studied medicine at Guangzhou University and studied pharmacology at the University of Texas, San Antonio. Hong, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Joe. It's great uh, to have this opportunity to talk with you. So, uh, you know, I'm really interested in, in, in your background. I, I want to get a sense for uh, what your current position at OnQuality is as chief medical officer and, and how you sort of steer the ship there. And a bit more about uh, OnQuality and in particular, the, the founding of OnQuality since you've been there uh, since the beginning. Sure. Yeah, I'm currently a chief medical officer and co-founder at OnQuality Pharmaceuticals. And how that, uh, you know, the fund came to this position, it's a maybe a, a little bit that we could touch upon even later. It's a long history from, you know, practicing physician to getting to pharmaceutical company to working medical affairs, uh, also in drug development. Uh, in virology later oncology that led me to oncology supportive therapy um so mainly because i realized uh, the side effects of cancer therapy even with the newer uh cancer therapy and that uh, need to be addressed some of them has been there for a long time but uh, we really don't have fda approved agents for those side effects uh, so uh, that's uh, the reason I ended up joining on quality uh, to to address this uh, significant med need and patients suffer, you know, not only from cancer, also from cancer side effects. So yeah, that's the reason I joined on quality. I'm here mainly lead the medical team for uh, clinical uh, development, such as the clinical trials, the scientific. Uh, uh, publication presentation and ob- obviously some of the um, uh, the uh, support some of the business development effort. Yeah, and thinking about your scientific and medical background, you, you have a really deep expertise uh, in, in medical affairs. I, I wanted to start uh, with your scientific background by um, touching on uh, a story that um, I, I've heard in that you drew inspiration uh, to to pursue medicine and, and specifically oncology uh, because you uh, very unfortunately lost both of your parents to cancer. And I think that is uh, a really important message for all grad students or, or practicing scientists. Um, and I myself have drawn inspiration from those I've lost. How, how did that um, come about and, and how does that drive you uh, in your day-to-day and, and, and what you do in, in trying to develop these really important medicines? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, you need to, to be passionate, right? And when you are passionate about something, you, you know, you think about it and you become creative, right? So um, that definitely is a, uh, was one of the reasons I transferred to oncology. However, even early on, I like science in general, right? My uh, scientific background goes back to my PhD study in pharmacology in University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. And unfortunately, because of family reason, I had to take a leave of absence and moved to New York State. There, I ended up doing an MD residency program, then practicing medicine. However, because of the genuine interest in research, I ended up doing some clinical trials while practicing medicine. And this is a, a touch upon important uh, information related to career development is you not only want to do something you are interested, also you want to build the bridge that lead you to a new territory of your career. And because of those clinical research experience that I ended up working in NIH as a serve as a medical officer overseeing clinical trials and even basic research program. So, so that's the building bridge, right? While you're practicing medicine, you could still do something that will lead you to a next um, career development. So that, that's just my scientific background, yeah. I, I think that's a really important message in particular, thinking about um, building a bridge in your career in, in grad school or uh, in, in early medical training. You, you don't always necessarily know what you wanna do and you know that you're passionate about science, but Mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't, the inspiration doesn't come to you um, right away. Um, thinking about that bridge, it, so eventually you ended up working in the, the general field of medical affairs. And, and I'm wondering if you could maybe touch on uh, what medical affairs departments do and, and what sort of role that plays in the drug development ecosystem. Sure. Yeah, medical affairs is responsible for managing the company's scientific and clinical data generation and communication. So uh, this is uh, different from the sales uh, uh, people in the pharmaceutical company. Those people, they promote the medications based on FDA-approved uh, drug labels. However, medical affairs, um, most of the people have very high education. Most of them have doctor's degrees, could be either PharmD, PhD, or MD. And they help to address the questions related to the information may not be in the label. But, you know, physicians often have questions like that, right? They may ask, oh, you know, there is a recent publication on your product uh, and, you know, I'd like to hear more about it. So medical affairs people could have a peer-to-peer -peer conversation with those physicians and those information not in the label. So if it's in the label, sales rep can uh, address a question outside label, the medical affairs uh, expert can, you know, uh, help address that question. So yeah, medical affairs not just um, and not just a communication, but also they help generate the data, right? So sometimes we have to do clinical trials uh, to address the data gap. Let's say, do you have pediatric data, or do you have people uh, data in uh, elderly things like that, or do you have a combination data, right? Or resistant uh, population. So those are often medical affairs um, based on insights they gathered from. Uh, the field, then they may decide to to address those data gaps by conducting additional research. Clinical trials are one of them. It could be 
real life uh, real world data it could be a chart review could be a registry right so and definitely it's a very fascinating area so not only you learn how to communicate uh, and, but also you learn how to do clinical trials and data generation yeah it seems like it's really at the the nexus of the research and, and clinical aims of a pharmaceutical company uh, and and it it's not often talked about on on this podcast, um, and I think that's a really interesting overview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now before we get to the really interesting science that's being done at on quality, uh, I just want to touch on one thing that you mentioned, which was presenting at clinical conferences, and, and sort of the medical affairs team is uh, responsible for for that. And and I noticed that you had some abstracts at uh, ASCO. Uh, mm-hmm. for the American Society of Clinical Oncology. I'm wondering what the role of, of presenting at those clinical conferences is for a clinical stage pharmaceutical company and, and how do you approach, uh, you know, sort of when to present and, and what data you want to present um, publicly at these conferences? Yeah, ideally when you have data available, you want a timely uh, presentation and publication of those data, right? So the field can keep... Uh, the progress, uh, keep an eye on your progress. So, um, yeah, the recent, uh, the ASCO, which is next week or soon, or actually maybe this week to next week, that we have two extra published online. One is for our uh, compound OQR051, preclinical data for chemotherapy-induced diarrhea. And another one, it's a survey data of uh, physicians' uh, treatment pattern and MED need related to EGFR inhibitor-induced skin rash. And so, and most recently in April, we had an oral presentation at AACR. Uh, actually, and Bob Tyler, he is on the phone. He did the presentation and talk about a gut restricted CDK46 inhibitor for uh, chemotherapy induced uh, diarrhea prevention. Yeah, that that's really exciting. And and to touch on what we had talked about before, on quality is really in this uh, very niche and interesting field of, of pharmaceuticals that are targeted cancer supportive care pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so could you describe a little bit more in depth what exactly that means and, and what had been done before founding on quality? Where, where did you see the unmet need? Yeah, so because of my experience working in immunotherapy, targeted therapy, even CAR T therapy, and we, I, I realized that those innovative agents, it's great to addressing a med need for cancer therapy. However, they have unique side effects. And some of the side effects, we really don't have medication to deal with it. For example, the VGF inhibitor induces a hand-foot skin reaction. Currently, there is no FDA-approved agent for that kind of condition, right? So often when patients have a severe reaction, they have to either reduce the cancer therapy dose or stop it altogether. So because of that, so it's a huge MED need, right? Um, unfortunately, not much focus being uh, in, in this area. So we we feel, you know, if there is a need, uh, we should develop something because the patient is suffering. And so we, we on quality focus on targeted supportive therapy. So what does that mean? Is we try to be very mechanistic based. So you know, in general, you know the uh, cancer drug mechanism of action, right? Because we know that the mechanism of action, we try to identify 
targets in those specific pathways involved with the toxicity. Then we screen agents and develop the agents to address those toxicity. The unique part of oncology is not only we are targeted, you know, similar to target therapy, we're targeted supportive therapy, but also we try to avoid the systemic exposure. It means we don't want the agents get into the blood too much to interfere with the anti-cancer therapy. So we try to do local delivery for the skin conditions or for GI uh, problems. We try to develop a gut-restricted agents that way we reduce the systemic exposures. Yeah, and and to dig in a little bit deeper into that that basic science that goes into developing these therapies, when you're deriving the, the mechanism of action, how is it different than conventional pharmacology? I, I know that you still have um, a, a target, whether it's you know uh, chemotherapy-induced diarrhea or, or um, the hand, foot, and skin reaction that you mentioned. Um, when you're doing the, the basic research um, to identify and validate targets, um, how is that different than conventional pharmacology that we know? In, in, I guess we could use it as, as an example, uh, like targeting EGFR, right? It, mm-hmm. you know, looking for reduction in the size of the cancer uh, in, mm-hmm. in vitro and in animal models um, is a pretty you know ironclad way to develop a, a drug early on. But for these uh, specific um, indications, you know, deriving the mechanism of action, I imagine, is a little bit different. And potentially, the animal models that you use need to be very specific uh, for these. Uh, cancer therapy induced uh, conditions rather than these conditions existing on their own? Sure. Yeah. Uh, That's a very interesting question. So I could talk a little bit about our care platform, which is an AI assisted drug uh, discovery and development platform. So how we do develop uh, the tissue specific um, uh, targets. So what we do is we use the cancer medication to induce the side effects in animal models. Then we do the specific tissue analysis. Let's say if the it's a skin condition, we uh, you know isolated that tissue. We, we do all kinds of uh, proteomic, you know, genomic analysis. Then we um, you know compare to the literature, maybe the public database as well as our own database to identify where are the unique targets that we could develop a medication to um, negate that toxicity. So that's how we do it. I think it's not too much different from drug discovery development. I think the difference is um, mainly in the area of focus, right? Not many companies are focused in this initial area of supportive therapy. So, um, but yeah, our platform, it's unique, it's a proprietary because we use the specific tissues to identify targets and then screen compounds for those uh, conditions. Yeah, I think that AI-enabled platform for drug discovery is, is really interesting. Getting into more of the clinical lens, are there differences in the ways in which you run these clinical trials compared to conventional pharmaceutical agents? Um, and I, I mean, in particular, the, the patient selection uh, is, I'm guessing, a little bit more straightforward, right? Because you can identify um, patients that are being treated with these pharmaceutical agents and, and try to identify those that are having adverse reactions. But um, I'm wondering what, what 
the the clinical development is like in in that respect? Yeah, I mean, uh, largely similar. However, we do have unique challenges. The unique challenges when patients develop toxicity, they usually suffer, right? If let's say if I have skin toxicity, you know, I have pain, I have um, ulcers or blisters, right? I'm, I have pain, so I don't I don't want to keep on suffering by taking the medication. But because we're developing agents for those cancer therapy toxicity, we like patients to continue their cancer medication. And while give them study drug to see whether that will alleviate the situation. So that's the unique challenge is patient while in clinical trial may say, well, you know, I really cannot tolerate the side effects any longer, especially they're in the placebo group because they don't get any alleviation, right? So if that case is the compliance may become an issue. So we really develop um, ways to try to capture those non-compliance, such as patient diary, right? Uh, maybe uh, the uh, physician prescription of the cancer medication, did they reduce the dose, did they switch? Because that all need to be a factor in for the efficacy evaluation. So I think that's the unique challenge is uh, patient already have the toxicity while on study, we would like them to maintain the cancer therapy, but obviously if they cannot uh, tolerate it, they have to, you know, then we, we totally understand the, the patient's um, choice. Yeah, it's, it seems like now your your focus obviously is on uh, patients receiving these you know, FDA approved drugs and and dealing with these side effects. Uh, I, I'm wondering if using that AI enabled platform, you could uh, potentially predict other toxicities that may occur with you know new cancer therapies that are in clinical development, um, or or what impact uh, you know what sort of predictive component is there in, in looking into the future and saying, well, there's going to be another transformative cancer therapy that's developed. So maybe we can try to predict what those adverse reactions might be and how we can mitigate those. Yeah, definitely. You know, with the newer agents such as uh, like a CAR-T therapy, or even recently, I think there's a natural uh, killer cell, uh, cell cell therapy. So those things, you know, if you know the mechanism of action, you could predict what the potential side effects would be. Then we could, uh, you know, use uh, our uh, AI platform to uh, predict uh, uh, where the targets could be. Um, and even identify those topic, uh, targets. So right now we are focusing mainly on the, um, a few of them, one is target therapy, the other one is chemotherapy-induced diarrhea, which even though chemotherapy has been on the market for many years, the other way, it's a very important so immunotherapy, the checkpoint inhibitor-induced diarrhea. That's a very uh, large area because it's so widely used. So yeah, things like that. We often, based on the mechanism action, try to identify uh, where to uh, develop, where the targets would be and develop agents for that. Yeah. Do you, so, so you think that this might be relevant for you know, many next-gen therapies, what, what we would consider? Um, yes, would be. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, obviously we'll try to develop, uh, uh, we'll try to identify the indications of which it's uh, widespread because, you know, if it's a rare condition, then we'll have to uh, prioritize which one's more important than the other. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I, I guess to my next question, going beyond cancer, I mean, I, I can't think of any drug that doesn't have some adverse event, right? Maybe mm-hmm. it's mild, but maybe it's serious. So so going beyond cancer and, and thinking maybe about other chronic conditions, uh, w- where do you think Onquality sits in terms of uh, moving beyond this sort of targeted supportive care for cancer and going out into different indications that that may have unmet need. Yeah, that, that's interesting because often when we develop those medication for cancer therapy toxicity, we realize some of the those could be used for some chronic disease conditions. For example, if JAK inhibitors, uh, uh, gut restricted JAK inhibitors, are good for um, immunotherapy induced diarrhea, might be also good for inflammatory bowel disease condition. So things like that, you could yeah could potentially leverage into other uh, areas of uh, um, therapeutic uh, therapeutic areas. So yeah, the, those could be. But right now we're focused on cancer supportive therapy, but whether the future will lead to other things, it's possible because we realized quite a few times our compound could be good for other conditions. Yeah, that, that's really super interesting. And I think it it speaks to the uh, ability of the platform to expand into other indications and, and have benefit elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. From your perspective as a physician, have you, you know, talk to some of these patients um, being treated and and what sort of things are they saying and and um, how, how is it really helping them in their day-to-day life in terms of quality I, that that's really the goal is to you know yeah. both mitigate the adverse events uh, from, from a mechanistic and and health standpoint but really try to improve the quality of their life yeah I just recently I had a conversation with a person who uh, has prostate cancer. And he told me that uh, his physician recommended a chemotherapy, right? He said, well, he told me for sure you're going to have diarrhea. Uh, and also you may have neuropathy. Now, since he had experience with neuropathy in the past, he said, oh, yeah, if you have any agent for neuropathy, that'd be great because I really don't like this uh, tingling and numbness right, of your hands and feet. But for diarrhea, he said, oh, I'm really not sure I want to do the chemotherapy. Just think about the diarrhea itself. It's very worrisome. So that's the um, the challenges the patient is facing, right? Not about, uh, oh, well, you know, which uh, chemotherapy, more about do I even want to do it? You know, do I want to go through that whole cycles of hair loss, you know, low blood count, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting? It's a lot for patient to take, right? They already suffer. They already had a lot of pain, worry about when they're going to die, right? So it's very hard on them. Sometimes they may say, well, do I want to just live a few months more to go through that, right? So, um, yeah, I just feel for patients, they really have to, uh, figure out, uh, you know, what they really want to do, and you know, based on the uh, their personal situation, the personal health condition, uh, as well as uh, the side effects. Yeah, I I think if these supportive care can give patients the the confidence to go forward with their cancer therapy, that that's a really great benefit, uh, mm-hmm. and so I I think that makes this this effort um, that on quality is pursuing really really noble um 
anything else that we should be looking out for from on quality in the pipeline? Or um, I, I know we had talked about the ASCO abstracts, abstracts that are published, um, yeah. but, but, but what's next on the horizon for, for on quality? Yeah, well, you know, we currently have uh, seven pipeline agents uh, with uh, five of them in skin toxicities. This could be a BGF inhibitor-induced hand-foot skin reaction, as well as EGFR-inhibitor-induced skin reaction and uh, uh, capacitive-induced hand-foot syndrome as well as the chemotherapy-induced alopecia. For the, immunotherapy, for the GI toxicity I mentioned, uh, we are working on chemotherapy-induced diarrhea, and also we have comp- compound for uh, target therapy-induced diarrhea, as well as uh, immunotherapy-induced diarrhea. So yeah, those are pretty much captured. You know, in the future, we may also want to work on neuropathy due to cancer therapy. And so, yeah, we always uh, look out for areas of MN need and, and decide what to do next. Yeah. And I think talking to patients is the best way to, to identify those mm-hmm. uh, specific adverse events that are really causing them issue. Yes, yes. You know, we talk with the patient uh, indirectly, but talk with physicians. Yeah. They help us uh, to identify areas of indications. Yeah. Well, Hong, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about Onquality's really interesting niche in, in pharmaceutical development and, and looking at targeted cancer supportive therapies. Um, I think these will be really beneficial to uh, individuals who are seeking cancer therapy and, and like I mentioned, sort of give them the, the confidence that they can deal with these adverse events and uh, and, and really focus on the, the main issue, which is, um, you know, uh, curing their their cancer and treating their cancer. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Uh, Best of luck for your PhD (laughs) training. And you look like you're already doing great work. So I hope you will have a very uh, productive, fruitful career in in the years ahead. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow Hopkins Biotech Podcast on social media at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for updates about upcoming guests and visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I'm Joe Barrielli. Thank you for listening.